Welcome to Sleepy Head Stories today. We love to read books, be silly, and play. Me and my mommy are here every week to read you great stories that all are unique. Join us at bedtime, or bath time, or breakfast. We promise it's better than a trip to the dentist. Welcome to Sleepyhead Stories. Hey guys. Hey. <laughs> we have an important message, or Conchetta, I should say, has an important message. Go ahead. So we did this craft on Instagram with Skittles, and we sure we are telling you to go check it out. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we did a really cool experiment with Skittles. And I made Mommy drink it. <laughs> she did make me drink it. In a cup. Yes. So if you want to see what we did, go on over to our Instagram and follow us and watch our stories. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Sleepyhead Stories. This week we're going to be reading Chapter 6 called Toad's Adventures, and we'll be finding out what happened to him after he was put into prison. So stay tuned, and we'll be with you in a minute. Chapter 6, Toad's Adventures. When Toad found himself imprisoned in a dank dungeon, and knew that all the grim darkness of a medieval fortress lay between him and the outer world of sunshine, and well-made high roads where he had lately been so happy, disporting himself as if he had bought up every road in England, he flung himself at full length on the floor, and shed bitter tears, and abandoned himself to dark despair. "'This is the end of everything,' he said. "'At least it is the end of the career of Toad.' which is the same thing, the popular and handsome toad, the rich and hospitable toad, the toad so free and careless and debonair, oh, unhappy and forsaken toad. With lamentations such as these as he passed his days and nights for several weeks, refusing his meals or intermediate light refreshments, through the grim and ancient galler, knowing that toad's pockets were well-lined, frequently pointed out to Toad that many comforts and indeed luxuries could be arranged, sent in, that is, at the right price from outside. Now, the Galler had a daughter, a pleasant wench and a good heart, who assisted her father in the lighter duties of his post. She was particularly fond of animals, and besides her canary, whose cage hung on a nail in the massive wall of the keep by the day, to the great annoyance of the prisoners, who relished after an after-dinner nap, she kept several piebald mice and a squirrel. This kind-hearted girl, pitying the misery of Toad, said to her father one day, "'Father, I can't bear to see that poor beast so unhappy and getting so thin. You let me have the managing of him.' You know how fond I am of animals. I'll make him eat and find my hand and sit up and do all sorts of things. Her father replied that she could do all she liked with him. He was tired of Toad and his sulks and his airs and his meanness. So that day she went on her errand of mercy and knocked at the door of Toad's cell. 
Now cheer up, Toad, she said coaxingly on entering, and sit up and dry your eyes and be a sensible animal, and do try and eat a bit of dinner. See, I've brought you some of mine, hot from the oven. It was bubble and squeak between two plates, and its fragrance filled the narrow cell. The penetrating smell of cabbage reached the nose of Toad as he lay in his misery on the floor and gave him the idea for a moment that perhaps life was not such a blank and desperate thing as he had imagined. But still he wailed and kicked with his legs and refused to be comforted. So the wise girl retired for the time, but of course a good deal of the smell of the hot cabbage remained behind, as it will do. And Toad, between snobs, sniffed and reflected and gradually began to think and inspire thoughts. When the girl returned some hours later, she carried a tray with a cup of fragrant tea steaming on it and the plate piled with a very hot buttered toast, cut thick and very brown on both sides, with the butter running through the holes in it in great golden drops like honey from a honeycomb. The smell of that buttered toast simply talked to Toad, and with no uncertain voice talked of warm kitchens, of breakfasts on bright frosty mornings, of cozy parlor firesides on winter evenings, when one's ramble was over and slippered feet were propped on the fender of the purring and contented cats, and the twitter of sleepy canaries. Toad sat up, and once more dried his eyes, sipped his tea, and munched his toast, and soon began talking freely about himself, and the house he lived in, and his doings there, and how important he was, and what a lot of friends thought of him. The Gowler's daughter saw that the topic was doing him as much good as the tea, as indeed it was, and encouraged him to go on. When she said good night, having filled his water jug and shaken up his straw for him, the toad was very much the same sanguine, self-satisfied animal that he had been of old. He sang a little song or two of the sort he used to sing at his dinner parties, curled himself up in the straw and had an excellent night's rest and the pleasantest of dreams. They had many interesting talks together. After that, as the dreary days went on, and the Gowler's daughter grew very sorry for Toad, and thought it was a shame that a poor little animal should be locked up in a prison for what seemed to be a very trivial offense. One morning, the girl was very thoughtful, and answered at random, and did not seem to Toad to be paying much proper attention to his witty sayings and sparkling comments. Toad, she said presently, just listen, please. I have an aunt who is a washerwoman. There, there, said Toad graciously and affably. Never mind. Think no more about it. I have several aunts who ought to be washerwomen. Do be quiet a minute, Toad, said the girl. You talk too much. That's your main fault. And I'm trying to think, and you hurt my head. As I said, I have an aunt who is a washerwoman. She does the washing for all the prisoners in this castle. We try to keep any paying business of that sort in the family, you understand. She takes out the washing on Monday morning and brings it in on Friday evening. This is Thursday. Now, this is what occurs to me. You are very rich. At least you always tell me you are. 
and she is very poor. A few pounds wouldn't make any difference to you, and it would mean a lot to her. Now, I think if she were properly approached, squared, I believe is the word you animals use, you could come to some arrangement by which she would let you have her dress and bonnet and so on, and you could escape from the castle as the official washerwoman. You very are alike with many respects, particularly with your figure. We are not, said the toad in a huff. I have a very elegant figure for what I am. So has my aunt, replied the girl, for what she is. But have it your own way, you horrid, proud, ungrateful animal. When I'm sorry for you, I'm trying to help you. I wish I never did. Oh, yes, yes, that's all all right. Thank you very much indeed, said the toad hurriedly. But look here. You wouldn't surely have Mr. Toad of Toad Hall going about the country disguised as a washerwoman. Then you can't stop here as Toad, replied the girl with much spirit. I suppose you want to go off in a coach and four horses. Honest Toad was always ready to admit himself in the wrong. You are a good, kind, clever girl, he said, and I am indeed a proud and a stupid Toad. Introduce me to your worthy aunt, if you will be so kind, and I have no doubt that the excellent lady and I will be able to arrange terms satisfactory to both parties. The next evening, the girl ushered her aunt into Toad's cell, bearing his week's washing pinned up in a towel. The old lady had been prepared beforehand for the interview, and the sight of certain gold sovereigns that the toad had thoughtfully placed on the table, in full view practically, completely the matter, and left little further to discuss. In return for his cash, toad received a cotton print gown, an apron, a shawl, and an old lady black bonnet. The only condition the old lady made being that she should be gagged and bound and dumped down in a corner. By this not very convincing artifice, she explained, aided by a picturesque fiction which should, could supply herself, she hoped to keep her job in spite of the suspicious appearance of things. Toad was delighted with the suggestion. It would enable him to leave the prison in some style, and with his reputation for being a desperate and dangerous fellow untarnished, and he readily helped the galler's daughter to make her aunt appear the victim of all circumstances over which she had no control. Now, it's your turn, Toad, said the girl. Take off that coat and the waistcoat of yours. You're fat enough as it is. Shaking with laughter, she proceeded to hook and eye him into the cotton print gown, arrange the shawl with a professional fold, and tie the strings of the bonnet under his chin. You're the very image of her, she giggled, only I'm sure you've never looked half so respectable in your life before. Now, goodbye, Toad, and good luck. Go straight down the way you came up, and if anyone says anything, Answer back a bit, of course, but remember you're an, a widow woman, an old widow woman, quite alone in the world. With a quaking heart, but as firm as a footstep as he could command, Toad set forth cautiously on what seemed to be a most harebrained and hazardous undertaking. But he was swoon, soon agreeable 
surprised to find how easily everything was made for him. The washerwoman's squat figure in its familiar cotton print seemed a passport for every barred door and grim gateway. Even when he hesitated, uncertain as to the right turn to take, he found himself helped out by with his difficulties by the warder at the next gate, anxious to be off to his tea, summoning him to come along a sharp and not to keep him waiting there all night. The mocking and the humorous comments to which he was subjected, and to which, of course, he had to provide prompt and effective reply. Indeed, his chief danger for Toad was an animal with a strong sense of his own dignity, and the teasing was mostly, he thought, poor and clumsy, and the humor of the jokes entirely lacking. However, he kept his temper, though with great difficulty, suited his retorts to his company and his supposed character, and did his best not to overstep the limits of good taste. It seemed hours before he crossed the last courtyard, rejected the pressing invitations from the last guard room, and dodged the outspread arms of the last warder, pleading with simulated passion for just one farewell embrace. But at last, he heard the wicket gate in the great outdoor click behind him, felt the fresh air of the outer world upon his anxious brow, and knew that he was free. Dizzy with the ease success of his daring exploit, he walked quickly toward the lights of the town, not knowing in the least what he should do next, only quite certain of one thing, that he must remove himself as quickly as possible from the neighborhood. As he walked along, considering his intention, he saw something, caught, his eye caught by some red and green lights a little way off to one side of the town, and the sound of the puffing and snorting of engines and the banging of shutting trucks fell on his car, on his ear, I'm sorry. Aha, he thought, this is a piece of luck, a railway station. It's the thing I want most in the whole world at this moment. And what's more, I needn't go through the town to get it. He made his way to the station accordingly, consulted a timetable, and found that a train bound more or less in the direction of his home was due to start in half an hour. More luck, said Toad, his spirits rising rapidly, and went off to the booking office to buy his ticket. He gave the name of the station that he knew to be the nearest to the village of which Toad Hall was the principal feature, and mechanically put his fingers in search of the necessary money where his waistcoat pocket should have been. But to his horror, he collected that he left both the coat and waistcoat behind him in his cell, and with them his pocketbook, money, keys, watch, matches, pencil case. Baffled and full of despair, he wandered blindly down the platform where the train was standing, and tears trickled down each side of his nose. It was hard, he thought, to be within sight of safety and almost of home, and to be balked by the want of a few wretched shillings. Very soon his escape would be discovered. The hunt would be up. He would be caught, loaded with chains, dragged back again to the prison, and bread and water and straw, his guards and penalties would be doubled. And oh, what sarcastic remarks the girl would make. What was to be done? He was not swift of foot. 
His figure was unfortunately recognizable. Could he not squeeze under the seat of a carriage? As he pondered, he found himself opposite the engine, which was oiled, wiped, and generally caressed by its affectionate driver, a burly man with an oil can in one hand and a lump of cotton waste in the other. "'Hello, mother,' said the engine driver. "'What's the trouble? You don't look particularly cheerful.' "'Oh, sir,' said the toad, crying afresh, I am a poor, unhappy washerwoman, and I've lost all my money, and I can't pay for a ticket, and I must get home tonight somehow, and whatever I am to do, I don't know. Oh, dear, oh, dear. That's a bad business indeed, said the engine driver reflectively. Lost your money and can't get home, and got some kids waiting for you, I dare say. Any amount of them, sobbed Toad. And they'll be hungry and playing with matches and upsetting lamps, the little innocents, and quarreling and going on generally. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do, said the good engine driver. I'll give you a ride on my engine. It's against the company's regulations, but we're not so very particular in these out-of-the-way parts. The toad's misery turned into rapture as he eagerly scrambled up into the cab of the engine. The guard waved his welcome flag, the engine driver whistled in a cheerful response, and the train moved out of the station. They had covered up many and many a mile, and Toad was already considering what he would have had for supper as soon as he got home, when he noticed that the engine driver, with a puzzled expression on his face, was leaning over the side of the engine and listening hard. Then he saw him climb on the coals and gaze out over top of the train. Then he returned and said to Toad, It's very strange. We're the last train running in this direction tonight, yet I could sworn that I heard another following us. Toad became grave and depressed, and a dull pain in the lower part of his spine communicating itself to its legs made him want to sit down and try desperately not to think of all the possibilities. By now the moon was shining brightly and the engine driver steadying himself on the coal could command a view of the line between behind them in the long off distance. Presently, he called out, I can see it clearly now. It's an engine on our rails coming along at a great pace. It looks as if we're being pursued. The miserable toad, crouching in the coal dust, tried hard to think of something to do with dismal want of success. They are gaining on us fast, cried the engine driver, and the engine is crowded with the queerest lot of people. Men like ancient warders waving halberds, policemen in their helmets waving truncheons, and shabbily dressed men in hats, obvious and unmistakable plain-clothed detectives, even at this distance, waving revolvers and walking sticks, all waving and all shouting the same thing. Stop! 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 Then Toad fell on his knees among the coals and raising his clasped paws in supplication cried, Save me! Only save me, dear Mr. Kind Engine Driver, and I will confess everything. I am not a simple washerwoman, I seem to be. I have no children waiting for me, innocent or otherwise. 
I am a toad, the well-known and popular Mr. Toad, a Landon proprietor. I have just escaped my, my, by my great daring and cleverness from the loathsome dungeon into which my enemies have flung me. And if those fellows on that, that engine recapture me, it will be chains and bread and water and a straw and misery once more for poor, unhappy, innocent Toad. The, en the engine driver looked down upon him very sternly and said, Now tell the truth. What were you put in prison for? It was nothing very much, said poor Toad, coloring deeply. I only borrowed a motor car while the owners were at lunch. They had no need of it at the time. I didn't mean to steal it, really. But people, especially magistrates, take such harsh views of thoughtless and high-spirited actions. The engine driver looked very grave and said, oh, I fear that you have been indeed a wicked toad, and by rights I ought to give you up to the offended justice. But you are evidently in sore trouble and distress, so I will not desert you. I don't hold with motor cars, for one thing, and I don't hold with being ordered about by policemen when I'm on my own engine for another. And the sight of an animal in tears always makes me feel soft-hearted. So cheer up, Toad. I'll do my best, and we'll beat them yet. They piled on more coals, shoveling furiously. The furnace roared, the sparks flew, the engine leapt and swung, but still their pursuers slowly gained. The engine driver, with a sigh, wiped his brow with the handful of cotton waste and said, I'm afraid it's no good, Toad. You see, they are running light. They have the better engine. They just have one thing left. There's just one thing left for us to do, and it's your only chance to attend. Very carefully, do what I tell you. A short way ahead of us is a long tunnel, and on the other side of that tunnel, the line passes through a thick wood. Now, I will put on all the speed I can while we are running through the tunnel, but the other fellows will slow down a bit, naturally, for fear of an accident. When we are through, I will shut off the steam and put on the brakes as hard as I can, and the moment it's safe to do so, you must jump and hide in the wood before they get through the tunnel and see you. Then I will go full speed ahead again, and they can chase me if they like, for as long as they like, and as far as they like. Now mind, and be ready to jump when I tell you. They piled on more coals, and the train shot into the tunnel, and the engine rushed and roared and rattled, till at last they shot out the other end into the fresh air and the peaceful moonlight, and saw the wood lying dark and helpful upon either side of the line. The driver shut off the steam and put on the brakes. The toad got down on the step and the, of the train as it slowed down to almost a walking pace as he heard the driver call out, Now! Jump! Toad jumped, rolled down a short embankment, picked himself up unhurt, scrambled into the woods, and hid. Peeping out, he saw his train getting up speed again and disappear at a great pace. Then, out of the tunnel, burst the pursuing engine, roaring and whistling, her motley crew waving their various weapons and shouting, Stop! 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 When they were past, the toad had heartily laughed, for the first time since he was thrown into prison. 
but he soon stopped laughing when he came to consider that it was now very late and very dark and very cold and he was in an unknown wood with no money and no chance of supper and still far from his friends and home and the dead silence of everything after the roar and rattle of the train was something of a shock. He dared not leave the shelter of the trees, so he struck into the wood with the idea of leaving the railway as far behind him as he possibly could. At last, cold, hungry, and tired, he sought the shelter of a hollow tree where the branches and dead leaves made himself as comfortable led as he could and slept soundly till morning. Guys, that is the end of chapter six. We will talk to you next week for chapter seven. I hope you enjoyed Toad's crazy adventure. Good night.